Hello and welcome to Insight is Capital. I'm Pierre Daly, Managing Editor at AdvisorAnalyst.com. Our very special guest today is one of the most outspoken luminaries in the financial industry. She's an accomplished public speaker and leadership coach. For over 10 years, she has made it her mission to help both individuals within her company articulate and act on their greatest strengths to build a more inclusive culture. And she has worked tirelessly to help investment advisors to be better and more successful in all they do. Our guest is none other than Anna Maria Testani, Senior Vice President at National Bank Investments. This is the Insight is Capital podcast. The views and opinions expressed in this broadcast are those of the individual guests and do not necessarily reflect the official policy or position of AdvisorAnalyst.com or of our guests. This broadcast is meant to be for informational purposes only. Nothing discussed in this broadcast is intended to be considered as advice. Anna Maria, welcome. It's so great to have you on the show. You know what? Thank you for the invitation. This is a great idea. So, Anna Maria, to kick things off, tell us the story of the arc of your career, how you got into the financial industry, where you started, uh, where you discovered you really thrived, and how you got to where you are today as senior vice president of national sales at National Bank Investments. Um, also, maybe what you feel are some of the most valuable ideas that you're raising awareness of to make the financial industry at large a better place. Oh my gosh, what is smart, right? Like, where do you start? Sorry, that's a, that's a lot to unpack, but especially the last part, but go ahead. You know, I would definitely say this generation's blessed because there's, there's, there's access to so much more information. When we started, I don't know where you, I just started, I went to a counselor and I said, I like math. That's all I had. Um, so from there, you know, there wasn't a lot of options in those days. It was banking, it was accounting, it was a couple of things. Um, but I quickly discovered that there's, uh, there's this thing about you can marry the thing about finance is you could marry many other topics to it. So I, I'm a big fan of marketing, I'm a big fan of neuroscience, big fan of psychology, sales. Right. So, you know, I started my career as a cashier, realized that, okay, I love numbers and I love the economics of it. Graduated into, I luckily went into asset management pretty quickly in my career. And I realized I had a flair for sales. Now, now normally people think sales is this dirty five-letter work, five-letter work, but it's not. Um, sales at the end of the day, any firm will tell you, if you don't have sales, you don't have a firm. And, and the beauty about sales is it's the storytelling. So I, I really have a knack to, to being able to take complicated matters, uh, economically, financial product, whatever you can think about it and reframe it in a way that the audience understands it, what's good for them. So through my career, kind of sort of started as a wholesaler, then, you know, was in charge of sales teams, uh, was invited very young at the executive table. And I think, you know, one of the reasons, uh, you know, I was able to climb quickly is I didn't fit a mold. So I got away with creativity. I got away with thinking outside the box. Uh, today, when I fast forward and have to teach leadership, I tell people, you know, don't be afraid to be different. Just make sure that you can understand and properly uh, and eloquently explain what that difference is and how valuable it could be to the surrounding table. Uh, today, I manage a very large team at National Bank Investments. We deal in the B2B2C world, so we cater to advisors, but we have to understand their reality in the investment community. So we, we are not, uh, we're product agnostic. I don't care if it's a mutual fund, a closed end, right. uh, a limited partnership, uh, if it's a pool, segregated. No matter the, the product, we're really agnostic. We're actually agnostic as well as to the market. So for me, it's not a question of timing the market where we are built, like the, the whole basis of MBI is, and I'm really proud of this because we built this over the last 10 years is 
we're provider of inventory. So I built a sales team that lives in the world of marketing and sales, but lives also in the financial community, but we provide inventory. So our, our business today is not to push a product. Our business is to better understand our audiences and our clients. What is the risk they're trying to mitigate? What is the, what is their, their goal of their business model? And then we back engineer into, well, we may have something for you and, and we lead you into the product. So we're a little different. Most people still operate on that model of let's launch it, sell it, make it sexy, right. put it in a portfolio or in a model. We tend to be more client-centric. So it's all about how our clients are evolving their business models. What are their needs? What do they want out of their partners? And then we build ourselves to make sure that we can fill that kind of sort of commitment. That's, that's, I mean, it's very interesting because it sounds like, if, you know, just listening to what you're saying, it sounds as though you're very much aligned with the advisor. Like, Absolutely. you know, the, the advisor's job role is to, you know, listen to their clients and determine what their clients' needs are, mm -hmm. uh, truly determine what their needs are, and then look at their inventory and, you know, their shelf space, whatever they, whatever they have on their advisory shelf, and determine how that inventory, you know, eventually, I mean, eventually determine how that inventory best fits with uh, what they're trying to accomplish for the client. For sure. I mean, look, okay. I, I'm, a, I'm a firm, and I've said this before, right? I'm a firm yeah. believer in advice. You can commoditize access to information. That doesn't mean you can also commoditize common sense. It doesn't mean you can commoditize. You can't just make, you know, digitalize away everything. There's, there's a purpose for, for a lot of interactions in the business models. So when you're looking at MBI, we, we said ourselves, you know, there's passive investments and there's actives. The active definitely requires a lot more catering, a lot more support, and it's not one bill fits all type of thing. So in, in each one, we've adapted our speech to make sure that are we properly illustrating the perks and the benefits of this versus your model. We don't assume right. that we understand your model. We don't assume that your model is the same as John Doe and Jane Smith. We don't. We, every conversation starts from scratch and we have to kind of sort of rebuild it. That's the nuance. People tend to think in sales is I have one script and I just repeat it all the time. Yeah. And I say to people, no, we have one conclusion, which is hopefully to buy our products. That's the one conclusion. I have multiple scripts because every, every person I'm interacting with is uniquely and inherently different. They listen differently. They communicate differently. They think differently. They may end up having the same conclusion, but how I get there that's what I pay my sales people. I was like, okay, your job is to be adaptable, to be agile. And you want the firm to kind of sort of reflect those values. Yeah, there's something very profound, I think, about just, you know, being able, I mean, it's profound and simple at the same time, just like investing is simple, but not easy. Um, it's profound and simple at the same time to just be in a really sort of nice position to just say, we're here for you, uh -huh. right? I mean, sure. uh, that's... Well, we're, we're here That's so, beyond the yeah. trade. I, I think, yeah. you know, different leaders want different things. Uh, my career has been built on uh, the long game. I've, I've, uh, I've not been pretty. 1990s were very nice to the, the world. Of, you know, uh, I was very different from everyone else. Right. So absolutely. Um, so what does that mean? What does playing the long game mean versus the short game? Well, the short game is you're in it for that trade. You're in it for making that great number, that great order, that great year, and then you move on or you sell the company type of thing. I've been lucky enough where I've, I've worked for leadership where there's a long game in fine. It's a building block. 
And it's almost like an annuitized business. But if you're playing the long game, you really have to play longevity. You have to play the relationship side. Because products come and go, markets come and go, flavors come and go. That's short. Relationships, though, last over many, many business cycles. So we tend to say, you know what? We want you to play a little bit of the short game in the sense that find out what their immediate needs are, but build the long game. And that also means a greater percentage of their book. So you're building that percentage of, of kind of sort of the mindset and the portfolio set of what you can bring to them. Yeah. So uh, speaking of the long game, it's interesting. You know, I, I think it, it's nice when, when a culture uh, like yours trickles down to the people that you serve and that you exist for uh, to facilitate. Um, while I was thinking about our conversation today, you know, I, I was reminded of the saying, um, you know, people don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. Yes. And, um, and then I recalled how many times as an advisor, I shot myself in the foot. You know, I don't know how many prospective clients I, I burned through because I was so insistent on you know, all that I had to say and all that I thought and all that I wanted them to know rather than, than sitting there and finding out what, was mad, what mattered to them and what was important to them and what they were trying to do. Um, you know, I was so, uh, I was so hell bent on, on getting my agenda across that, uh, by the time I got to their agenda, you know, uh, this is when I was younger too. I mean, I, <laughs> you know, you know, I, I, you know, it's one of those things where, you know, if I, if I knew then what I know now, uh, you know, it, it, um, but it, it really, it really is, you know, I was so invested in the outcome and it's funny how things are when, you, you know, when you, you know, I, I must've been told or those ideas shared with me many times, but I didn't give them the value that they deserved. Yeah, and uh, by it, right. Like when you think about right. 80s and the 90s, let's just go back to the 80s and 90s. Look at um, what percolated in leadership. If there was the showman, right? Like, and I don't mean showman yeah. just because it was male. It was just like you showed up, you possessed, uh, you were busy talking, right? Uh, we were taught that leaders take a lot of space. Leaders talk a lot. Leaders are there to while we, that's what we kind of sort of got to believe that that leadership kind of sort of positioning is, right? And I, and I do think advisors have a leadership role. Absolutely. You know, there's an evolution to kind of sort of everything. And, and then we started realizing, well, if you're busy talking, what is it you're not doing? You're not listening. <laughs> so, so as the business commoditizes the repetitive, low-value transactional things that we do, right? Today, that's where we are. Yeah. Today, there's an inflection point. What made you great as an advisor is no longer viewed as high bound, right? Like that, uh, the showing me the portfolio, helping me understand the portfolio, getting the statements, get, like all these are getting kind of sort of commoditized. So then the discussion becomes, well, how can you be different? What's well, through active, what's active listening? See, most of us start with, here are the five things I will tell John. I'm going, you know, those are the five things that are, that really resonate with John. And they'll say, well, John only cares about returns. Doesn't, or is that the only thing yeah. he's been led to believe that that's important? Same thing when we have the conversations with Jane. Hey, Jane, are you okay? Yes. Well, yeah. maybe you need to reframe your questions because the manner in which we communicate, we get delivered 
topics that lead us into false positives. And then we're shocked when clients kind of leave because there's a disengagement. I think we've lost the art of active listening. We think active listening is this, just sitting down and nodding your head. Right. I, you know, I do, I do conferences. I do a bunch of coaches and leadership on just active listening alone. So, you know, I, I tell people, where are you in the spectrum? Because you can be lost in details or you can be too emotional. Where are you at all times? And in order to figure out yourself, then you need to figure out where your client is. How many of us are trained in today's environment to be active listeners? Absolutely. So, so Anna Maria, when you say active listening, mm -hmm. what, what do you mean? So for me, active listening is, is being in the moment. Uh, when you ask a question, don't then turn into your own internal dialect. I don't know about you, but I, I, you know, I have kids. So a lot of times they're asking you a question, but they've already kind of formulated an answer and they're already thinking of the next question to ask me. And I'm like, no, 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 no. Listen to what I have to say. So first and foremost, I tend to say to people, be at the moment. Understand that when you're sitting down with someone new, you literally have to erase the, the, the whiteboard and you start fresh. What is important for this person? What are their triggers? Like understand your client. Yeah, everyone wants to make money. No kidding. Even my 15-year-old wants to make money. Like that's not a given to your client. That's just normal society. But, but again, we, we put that as a KPI. Understanding your client. And I often say to people, dig a little deeper. Oh, well, they don't want to go there. But that's the point. That's the whole point of wanting to give advice. You get that cast branch to ask all these difficult questions because that's what your value is. Change the script. Absolutely, yep. Change the script. I love when people ask me to, to give them scripts for selling and I'm like, I'll give you bullet points. I'm not going to give you a script. Because the moment you're in script mode, what is it you're not doing? Yeah, not listening. I'm just basically doing, where do you fit in this document? So again, change your script. I know for a fact, all my conversations will lead to a conclusion. It's the same conclusion, buy my products, right? I know yeah. that's the conclusion. Now, once I figure out, so you know, be in the moment, understand your client. Once I know what triggers you, for you, it could be leading enough for your kids. And for other people, it could be having enough for yourself. For others, it could be for charity. It could be for a variety. Once I understand what you are, then I change my script. Right. And then, you go beyond the small talk. Like, you know, when someone says to me, oh, I'm okay. I'm like, I, what does that mean? And then I'm like, what do you mean? What does that mean? No, but what does okay mean to you? Because I know what okay means to me, but you're using generic language. I have no idea what that fundamentally means to you. The moment we start pushing our conversations a little deeper, the moment we start kind of sort of adding to the, asking for that clarification, then all of a sudden there's a connection. I feel you're authentic. I feel you're talking to me. And then I personally think those that have mastered the art of active listening in our business, in our very highly touch point, highly informative environment, win the game. You not only get the client, yeah. you get to keep it for, you get to keep that client for a very long time. Yeah, I think, I think when you actually take the time to elicit the, the high criteria, the things that really matter the most to the client. And, and you're not in that same moment trying to inject your agenda. Uh, you're actually, you've actually sort of divested yourself of that agenda and you're just, you're just strictly listening for those key words like freedom and security and independence. 
And, and then, and then, you know, the next question is, what does that mean to you? What, 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 what's important about that, that word? What's important about freedom to you? What's important about. And what are the sacrifices you want to, you want to also, um, put into the game? Yeah. Cause if you don't push me, I might say, well, Pierre doesn't think I should do these things. Right. And then all of a sudden you might go and we're going to know, listen, we really got to have that serious conversation. You're spending way more than you're, than you're saving. We got to tip the balance here. And I'd be like, yeah, but you know, I, I like my living in the moment. And you're like, yeah, but you also need to not only craft dinner for the rest of your life till you're done. <laughs> but the point is, that's where the psychology is, right? Like that, yeah. see, if people think their value added is in providing a commoditized uh, portfolio return, that's where it gets dicey. Because people can read that on their own. I'm not saying they understand it, but they can read it on their own. What people have a hard time is how to get to that conclusion. Right. So that's your value That like that is what I would pay a serious amount of money. If people can help me avoid pitfalls when buying a car, uh, buying a trip, uh, buying a house, if, if, if the, that valuable guidance that people can give you, well, that's worth its its weight in gold. Yeah, I I think when when you know you're you're so busy with your own thoughts, you know what happens is that you, you, well, number one, you're n you're not listening. But I think I think it's so important to to actually make the discovery process very strict. Yes. So that so that when you when you're meeting a client for that initial consultation, you're not thinking I'm going to close them. You know, that there's that old saw, you know, always be closing ABC, always be closing, which is really like, I, I, you know, I think that's, that's what really has turned off people. You know, you, you mentioned the five letter word at the beginning to sale to the idea of what sales is or what salespeople are the typical, you know, archetype of a salesperson, uh, you know, whatever we think that is, um, you know, versus the, the professional. And, you know, when, when you're, when you're always, when you're always, when your objective is always be closing, you can't possibly be listening because you're, you're, you're just always looking for the doors to walk through. You're always looking for a way to reply, but be if you proven right turn, to be proven, right, yeah. to win the argument, right? <laughs> to get compliance, to win uh, after, you know, to win a yes, to get a, to get a commitment and, and, you know, one of the best things I ever heard was always be opening. Just change that last, yeah. that last word, always be opening. In other words, not, not opening accounts, always be opening the relationship, always be opening up the discussion, opening up the conversation, opening up for, for, you know, be curious, getting that, that uh, using that, using those initial meetings with, with new, you know, prospective clients um, to, open the relationship, to set the tone, to find out everything that you need to find out from them in order to, to actually effectively get through. I mean, um, I think you're totally right. And I would say one question that it's universal on any problem you're, you're addressing, you need to know how to answer this is always why you, like I tell people, if you're applying for a job, first question I want to ask you is why you, <laughs> uh, if you want to land this client, question I would ask you, why you? Uh, you know, someone wants to propose marriage to you. 
why you, like I, I use this word, why, like this question, why you all the time? Because it always starts with the why. What is it about you that I would want to do business with you? What is so fundamentally great about you? And so a lot of people say to me, how come you have this confidence that you will have this person as a client? Well, because I, I am so, I fundamentally believe in my value and I know what I deliver is so good, so important to you. Not that I'm the best. I never played for the best, but I, I will definitely deliver something specifically for you. You will feel valued. You will feel, listen, you will feel that I tried my darnest to get to it. Why? You. And it can't be because I can manage your risk well. It can't be because I can create a model. Those are things that that's where the, the media and, and, and technology is disrupting. Okay, but in my opinion, that's the low value added chain. Doesn't it, yeah. it hasn't touched me here. So if someone can say, you know what, um, I can help you avoid three of your biggest pitfalls and in investments on the next 20 years, that will significantly reduce your net worth by half. Is that something that's important to you? I never talked about before, yeah. but trust in here. <laughs> But, but see, these are yeah. things people would pay for, like, you know, things to avoid, the pitfalls to avoid, just that alone, guiding you through uncertainty, guiding you through chaos. It's not as if we haven't had any in the last four years. Right. What is that value? And, and, and keep in mind, a lot of these are biases. We say biases because we always think it's about, you know, black, white men and women, but biases can be a lot of forms, right? It could be, you're going into a conversation, you're already, I pigeonholed you. I think this is who you are. I think we have prototype bias, whereas every client is the same kind of sort of prototype tier. So, you know, how do we yeah, do that? Well, I, I think your point about starting with a blank slate is, is key, is, is to make no assumptions at all. Uh, you know, people sometimes, I, I, you know, everybody has their, their fishing stories and their, their war stories from, from, you know, being in this business. And it, I have to, you know, just to frame it, it, it's it's by far, it's one of the most, I, I think it's, if not the most fascinating, it's at least one of the most fascinating businesses to be in. And for, you know, for advisors, it's it's definitely one of the most difficult or complicated businesses to be in because of, the, you know, you have to wear so many hats um, in, in, in running the business. Mm -hmm. But, you know, when, when people talk about, uh, you know, they almost always, there's, there's, there's always this urge to sort of label a particular kind of client, particular kind of person, um, and and then and then of course you know if you if you say you know I, I work very closely with entrepreneurs uh, to help them succeed financially, um, you know that must inherently also come with certain beliefs about why you got involved in that niche in the first place, like entrepreneur niche, um, you know, and and so so still. The really thoughtful advisors, of course, have have you know matured uh, into into understanding that that you know you can't you can't try and fit your square peg into every every round you know every oh, yeah, round. And that's hole. the point of active yeah. listening, right? Like what you're alluding yeah. to is active listening. So people say to me, "Oh, I only deal with men, or I only deal with women, or I only deal with." I often say, "Well, because it, it becomes easier because you're assuming that specific profile." Is, is consistently the same and you're going to apply one script. But even with women, right? I, a lot of times I get kind of sort of got, I, I get roped into certain decisions. People go, well, what do you think women would want? And I'm like, 
I can't answer that because you're asking me to speak <laughs> on behalf of half of the Canadian yeah. population from one <laughs> lens. They're yeah. different things, right? Uh, I may not be the same as 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 my neighbor, and and we might listen differently, react it, and and that's the risk of the labels. I, like I try to fight labels all the time, and and to your point, it's been re- really easy that we we conditioned ourselves the last twenty years, and again, the markets helped us. It's easy to label ourselves. By the way, farmers, hunters, we're labeling activities. At the end of the day, aren't we <clears throat> things? When you're meeting a client. Oh, that's a, that's an affluent client. And I'm like, well, what does that mean? Mm-hmm. And, and then you said, another one is it's a growing client or I only like doctors. I'm like, no, it's because you've perfected the script specifically that you're used to and accustomed to by doctors. And you want to concentrate on that. That's a fair statement. I've yeah. perfected statements that my scripts are really good for a specific segment. But you're also lessening your ability to kind of learn and evolve your listening skills. I find that the more diverse I have a sales group of individuals, the more diverse my clientele is, the more I get challenged on how to actively listen in the moment. Because I'm constantly fighting my brain going, oh, it's this. Oh, Pierre is like this. Oh, just put him, put him in this box. And I often sit there going, before you put him in, just ask him a couple more questions. Get him to talk a bit more about himself. Get him to talk about his triggers. Get him to talk about what, you know, what 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 is what are, what makes him tick? What makes him happy? What makes him upset? All of a sudden, I'm going to start realizing, ooh, I can't put you in a box because these are inherently different. But we we like all those rep- we like being able to uh, reproduce, re- you know, repetitive tasks, right? We yeah. like, for example, the doctors. You know, oh, I work with doctors. Well, why do you work with doctors? Because I understand them. I, you know, they're. Um, but do they but- understand you? Yes. Well, there's <laughs> absolutely, you know, I, I, I uh, you know, speaking of, of the, the, the need to cl- start with a clean slate each time you meet with a new client, uh, you know, it reminds me of, of, you know, situations like something, something really simple, like, um, you know, somebody who knew my sister, for example, mm-hmm. would say, would say, you know, and then, and then got to know me and then turn around and say, oh, you're nothing like your sister at all. You know, and, and, and my response to that is, well, why on earth did you think that in the first place? But it's, it's one of those biases. Absolutely. But you have a have share of mom and dad. But other than yeah, that. That's about it. <laughs> right? Because the yeah. manner in, in which, you know, again, how we process information is so interesting for me. Because a lot of times, and I do, uh, I, you know, there's this exercise I do where I give a bunch of instructions. Everyone in the room has to follow this instruction. They close their eyes. They're doing this work with a piece of paper. They open their eyes and then I show them my paper and I'm like, I don't get it. We're 20 in a room. I gave exactly the same seven instructions to the, the 20 of you at the same time, but yet none of our papers look alike. What? <laughs> because I'd wor- I used words of, yeah. I fold in half, turn 90 degrees. I said, cut a little piece. What does little mean? What does a lot mean? What does yeah. good mean? Like, oh, my portfolio is doing good. What does that mean, right? We don't ask for that clarity. So by default, what happens? You jump in the labels. Oh, good means it's fine. I just didn't know what else to tell you. So I said it was good. I was okay. And I felt bad, Pierre. I didn't want to tell you that I was not feeling okay. So I said it was okay because it would get you off my back. That's how bad labels are. They limit our ability to truly understand not our employees, 
right? Because even these advisors that have these big teams, a lot of times they're saying, oh, I have high turnover. Okay, well, well, why are we hiring certain individuals? Are you hiring a prototype? Are you kind of sort of limiting yourself and ability to get different kind of sort of interactions in your teams because you're going with with, it, with one approach. If someone's different, you got to manage that difference, not make it harmonized to you. That's hard. But we're not trained to envelop and appreciate differences. What do we do? The moment someone's different, we try to say, I'm back into our square. Same thing with our clients. The more right. it fits that model, the more we like them. The more that they don't fit that model, the more we're like, oh, it's a lot of work. Yeah, but that one word can mean long-term benefits. And those that get it right have a very diverse group of clientele in their book of business and have a sticky client. This client will stick over time, which you and I both know, increases the value of your book. And key takeaways for active listening. Um, after every meeting, count. Like I, I do this exercise and I tell people to do this. In a 60 minute meeting, Pierre, time yourself. And you can do it by the way with the phone. It's so great because you can just put the timer on and you just click every time you talk and you stop talking, you yeah. it off. If you, if the facts and data come back that you talk more in that meeting than the other person has, you have an active listening issue. Uh, you know, so active listening nice. is about what you say, it's about how, how you hear, um, which will impact how you talk. But if you don't get the how you hear part right, you'll fail as how you talk. So active listening is not about you at all. It's about understanding how the other person listens to then pass your message. Um, and, and it's easier said than done. It's a muscle. You can retrain. Um, I have like, I, ha I have a bunch of like little coping mechanisms. Like I have a five second rule. I'm, I'm not supposed to talk when someone asks me a question, not on a podcast, but you know, when I'm in a meeting, I'll be like, two, three, four, just the fact that I'm pausing for five seconds. And if you know me, five seconds is like five hours. The reptilian brain comes down and, and you really sit there going, so what was it again, the point of what we're trying to get to? Cause you've slowed yourself down. I asked for clarification, something that I wish when I was younger, I, I had the courage to do. Yeah. I don't assume labels or generic expressions mean the same to me as they mean to you. Active listening is really about, you know, the other person asking for clarification, uh, enriching yourself with that feedback to then become a much more powerful speaker in return. In a nutshell, pretty easy.